Hey everybody, our board slash OITE podcast companion book is now available for you to follow along and take notes with our podcast review. Just click the link in the description. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Regardless of your residency program year, the Resident Orthopedic Core Knowledge Platform developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons is right for you. Free to residents, Rock is an online learning program that covers 11 subspecialty areas with content that's been authored and curated by some of the leading names in orthopedics. And residents can access content for free at rock.aos.org. Get started today. Hello, everybody. Welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. My name is Dr. Cole. Myself and Dr. Fitz started this podcast, go over high yield orthopedic surgery topics. But you are now tuned into our OITE slash board review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. We have gone through trauma. We have gone through spine, basic science. Uh, now we're going through foot and ankle. So uh, we hope that you all are enjoying this series. And if you want to check out the notes and follow along while we are going through this podcast, click the link in the description of this podcast and you will get uh, access to be able to go and get the notes. So until next time, uh, enjoy this episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Um, but moving forward, like I said before, you have different zones of injury. Um, let's say they have a fracture that is a little bit more distal. What's the treatment of a zone two fracture? Yeah, so for our zone two fractures, and just like you just said, they're a little bit more distal and on the on the metatarsal. And this is kind of the, the zone two is that metadiaphyseal region of the metatarsal. And this um, this region has a propensity to have some non-unions because of the blood supply. And again, if you want to go into more detail, check out the podcast we had with Dr. Barron. He did a great job explaining this. Um, but again, for the treatment of our zone two or our Jones fractures in an athletic patient, um, this is definitely going to be percutaneous screw fixation. Um, this is going to be associated with faster healing and return to sport. You know, if you have a patient that is, you know, a non-athlete or really non-active, not active patient, maybe to treat these patients not operatively or have them non-weight bearing in a cast. Um, but again, for our, for active patients, you want to, you typically treat these. And, and again, one thing to note is when you get a, a consult from the ED and they say that it's a, it's a, a metatarsal fracture, you want to take a look, especially with a fifth metatarsal fracture, you want to take a look at x-rays and make sure they're not talking about a Jones fracture. Um, you know, because the treatment is different. If it's zone one, you're going to have them weight bearers tolerated. If it's zone two, you don't want them to weight bear. You need to at least have them in some type of immobilization. Um, now, what is the treatment for an acute zone three? So more of the kind of diaphysis um, fracture of the fifth metatarsal. Yeah, so these patients are, they typically fare better with uh, operative fixation. And um, it's a little bit different than a lot of diaphyseal type fractures. You're not necessarily going to open the fracture site, but you are going to put in a big fat intramedullary screw, similar to what you would do with a femur fracture with an intramedullary nail. It acts as the same sort of kind of 
uh, in the same sort of way, but with the screw, it's going to be most likely cannulated and you're most likely going to have a kind of compression or lag by design where it's going to be a partially threaded screw. So you're gonna have all the threads distal to the fracture site and you're going to help compress that fracture in the, in the proximal portion of the diaphysis to help treat these patients. Um, because if you don't, you do have a very high risk of non-union and that's more likely due to the watershed region in the fifth metatarsal where the proximal diaphysis and the zone two slash three area uh, receives less blood flow because of its multiple um, areas of uh, uh, blood supply. Um, it's in the watershed area. And so um, treating these with an inch measure screw. Um, and then you may have a kind of a zone two, zone three Jones versus not injury in kind of multiply uh, repetitive micro trauma sort of athletes. So they may be runners, they may be jumpers, uh, depends on, on, on their actual activity. But um, in those patients, the treatment will be to actually open up the fracture site, debride the fracture, bone graft, and to fix with a screw. That will be the answer on the test. Um, so uh, moving on, uh, I think we've covered fractures fairly well. Uh, the uh, finishing with the with the uh, metatarsals. The metatarsals are going to be treated only if there's multiple metatarsal fractures or if they're open. And then the fifth metatarsal. As long as you know the fifth metatarsal, you'll be able to answer most four foot questions on the test anyway. So moving on to more kind of soft tissue sort of uh, issues with the foot. Uh, one thing that test takers or test question writers like to focus on is something called a Morton's neuroma. What is that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know why they it's focused on it, but I always remember seeing these. And uh, a, Mor a Morton's neuroma is a compressive neuropathy of the interdigital nerve. And basically what this is or how it presents is, you know, sometimes patients will have, again, pain in their foot. Sometimes they'll hear a click. And on physical exam, they will have pain with squeezing of the medial and lateral metatarsals while pushing the, the tissue a little bit dorsally. So again, you'll have your, you can have your thumb on the plantar aspect and you're pushing the tissue dorsally and you're squeezing the medial um, and lateral metatarsals. And again, sometimes this can be accompanied with a click, which is just created by that bursal tissue. And so this is a compressive neuropathy of an interdigital nerve and they will in some, I've seen some questions where they just kind of um, describe that physical exam finding like, oh, they, you know, pain is reproduced, you know, when they're squeezed their metatarsals, um, sometimes they get hear a click as well. And so that clues you in towards a Morton's neuroma. And, um, and how do you treat this Morton's neuroma? <clears throat> so uh, first of all, uh, just like with a lot of orthopedic things, you're going to try shoe wear modification and metatarsal pads. Um, that is going to be the answer if you cannot find anything in the question stem relating to previous treatment. And what I mean by that is they will, they will say this is either the patient's first presentation or 
they were immediately referred or something like that. But if they say something along the lines of like, uh, patient has tried and failed non-surgical measures or patient has uh, purchased multiple pairs of shoes or something along that line, it, it's an indication that they have failed shoe wear modification and metatarsal pads. And you may want to uh, elevate your level of care for them. And how you elevate that is you first try cortisone injection in the uh, area of concern to help decrease the surrounding inflammation. If a cortisone injection does not work, then you move to surgery. And what surgery is, is it's going to remove the entire uh, kind of neuroma that's formed in the intermetatarsal space. Um, the downside to it is they will lose sensation in those digits, or at least on the medial and lateral aspects of the uh, affected digits. And so you have to consult the patients on that um, or counsel the patients on that uh, appropriately, or else they will be very confused after surgery. And they'll be like, well, why can't I feel my shoe as I, as I uh, flex my foot? Or why can't I feel certain things when I'm walking barefoot? Um, and so the most a uh, common approach is going to be a dorsal approach, and that is going to be an incision, and you're going to uh, incise the transverse, the dorsal transverse metatarsal ligament. You're going to remove the neuroma, and then the only reason why you're really going to go plantar is for recurrent neuromas, and uh, the reason why you don't want to go plantar is um, you may excise the neuroma, but scar tissue formation may give the exact same sensation as the neuroma in the first place. So if you can avoid a incision on the uh, plantar aspect of the foot and the palmar aspect of the hand, if at all possible, you want to do that just to avoid any sort of uh, kind of uh, symptomatic compressive issues postoperatively. And so, um, Morton's neuroma, for whatever reason, they love testing on it. It is not very common, but uh, uh, just as long as you know it, you know how to treat it now. And so moving on, uh, this is more for the pediatric patients. This is going to be a kid who, uh, 12 years old, um, rolls his ankles all the time when he's playing sports and you get x-rays. What, are the, what sort of thing are you concerned about? Yeah, so those are like classic symptoms of a tarsal coalition. And and what that is, or what a coalition is, is this is seen when there's failure of differentiation and there's no joint formation. So this is it's an abnormal connection between two bones. So this can be a bony coalition where you actually have bone that is connecting two bones where there's supposed to be a joint. You can also have a fibrous coalition where there's fibrous tissue connecting those two bones. This episode is sponsored by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Are you an orthopedic resident? Then you need to know about ROC. It's a new resident orthopedic core knowledge program developed by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Created for U.S. residency programs and free to residents, ROC covers 11 subspecialties and is filled with in-depth, comprehensive content and quizzes that have been authored and vetted by some of the leading experts in orthopedics. This all-in-one curriculum will give you the foundation and knowledge you need to become a successful board-certified orthopedic surgeon. 
And remember, access to rock content is free to residents. Get started at rock.aaos.org. And again, I remember we had, I think I was on, I was on foot and ankle, obviously, and I had, I think he was like a 20-something-year-old patient, um, you know, and he, you know, he came in with, yeah, he used to have like a classic story. I used to have a lot of ankle sprains back in the day. And, you know, now my, now my ankle hurts really just hurts more with uneven surfaces. Like it was like a classic tarsal coalition, um, um, story. And so that's just one thing to, to note about. And again, while all, all the coalition is, is just an abnormal connection between two bones. And again, you have failure of differentiation and the, the joint itself in that area doesn't form and this can be fibrous and this can also be bony. Um, and so what are the, what are some things on, uh, that you may actually note on x-rays with tarsal, with tarsal coalitions? And we know that they can be many different types of tarsal coalitions. You can have, you know, a tail calcaneal uh, coalition, you can have a calcaneal navicular, there are many different things. Yeah, so uh, um, I'm glad you brought that up because Calcaneal navicular coalitions are the most common. They are between the calcaneus and the navicular bones. And then the talocalcaneal coalitions are less common, but still prevalent enough to warrant discussion on kind of this podcast, but also on like the ABOS and the OIT. And so some of the things you're uh, going to be looking at, like, uh, Obviously, we're going to get x-rays, just like we do for anything else in orthopedics, is we start off with a multiple view x-rays uh, of the foot. And most commonly for the foot, you're going to get an AP, an oblique, and a lateral view. And for a calcaneo-navicular coalition, what you're looking for is the anterior sign. And this is most commonly seen on the lateral view, where you see an extra projection of the anterior process of the calcaneus and a continuation of this anterior process into the navicular bone of the uh, midfoot. And you may see a, a fibrous band in between them uh, indicating an incomplete coalition, but as long as you see that anterior beaking of the anterior process of the calcaneus, you can be sure that there is some sort of either complete or partial coalition of the uh, calcaneo-navicular joint. And then the talocalcaneal coalition is um, your, you may see some Taylor uh, beaking on the lateral x-ray, but you also see what's, what's commonly called the C sign. And what the C sign is, is it's a kind of an irregular middle facet joint on the, uh, or excuse me, it is the uh, it's formed by the medial outline of the Taylor dome and the posterior inferior aspect of the sustentaculum tali. And so as you look at the lateral of the foot, it will form an actual C because you're seeing complete bone between the calcaneus and the uh, talus. And so uh, the, the last thing is, uh, it's called a drunken waiter sign. Uh, that's an indicate indicative of a subtalar coalition. Um, and then uh, you may be able to talk a little bit more about the drunken waiter sign because I'm not entirely sure what uh, what that necessarily yeah. pertains to, but um, but that but the subtalar coalition is much less common than 
the calcaneal navicular and the uh, talocalcaneal. And so it may not be as highly tested, but it's still a, a good uh, uh, kind of radiographic sign to know. Yeah, that, that drunken, um, the drunken waiter sign. I only remember this because I remember this patient <laughs> and I had to do like a case presentation and, and look up more on like uh, telecalcaneal uh, coalitions. But the uh, drunken waiter sign is best seen on an axial, like a Harris axial view of the calcaneus, or you could look at it in CT as well. And when you look on um, on the on the subtalar joint, there's an area. And if you Google it, whoever's listening to this, if you're not driving, just Google the drunken waiter sign, and you'll see um, that where the subtalar joint is supposed to be nice and flat, but there's an area where it's uh, where it's angled downwards or it's, or it's sloped downwards. So they call it the drunken waiter sign because when the waiter is carrying you know the waters or whatever it is with his uh, with the tray. In a drunken waiter, they may be holding the tray to the side. So this that angle of like the tray being to the side is also that that angle that you see um, with these coalitions. And that is almost I don't know if it's pathognomonic for um, um, these uh, these coalitions, but that's something you can always see in uh, not always, but that is something that is uh, one of the telltale signs of a subtelar uh, coalition. So that's that drunken drunken waiter sign. And that C sign, I remember seeing. Um, those on x-rays as well, just that lateral, like you explained about the, you already did a great job of explaining that. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess just kind of moving on, um, from the, uh, kind of radiographic findings of the, uh, tarsal coalitions. Um, let's say you do have that patient who, who has the radiographic signs of a, the, the most common, the talonavicular coalition. So you're seeing that anterior peaking of the uh, calcaneus anterior process into the navicular. Um, what what are you going to tell that patient and their parents, uh, just because this is primarily a pediatric issue, about treating these uh, surgically? Yeah, so again, if you're looking at treating these surgically, meaning you've, uh, you've exhausted all of your non-operative treatment options and well, some of the surgical options that you have, especially in the teenager, um, is you can resect the, that that sign. So you can resect the coalition. I'm sorry. You can resect the coalition. And what you can do is you can put something in between where those two bones were. So all you're doing is going out and taking out that abnormal connection of bone. So you're going to do a sinus tarsi approach or whatever approach it is. And you go and resect that, that bone, that abnormal connection, and you put something in place there to stop that bone from just reforming. So it can be bone wax, or some people put um, a little piece of fat to interposition in there. So fat interposition or bone wax. Um, but if you have, you know, a degenerative subtalar joint, so to say this has been, they've been having this coalition for a while and they have, um, you know, greater than 50% joint involvement and it's, and it's a degenerative subtalar joint, then you'd be looking at an arthrodesis. So you completely fuse that joint. Um, you completely refuse the joint and that will help with those, with those symptoms. Um, so I think that's most of the big things on tarsal coalition. The main things there are just going to be, um, are going to be being able to recognize it on x-rays. And those are kind of the signs that you talked a little bit about earlier. So whenever we're talking about it, hopefully you Google it. I don't know if I'll take the time out to draw all of these different signs <laughs> for like the PDF version of this. Um, I don't know. Um, but anyways, continuing forward, um, what are the contents of the tarsal tunnel? 
I mean, we may have talked about this. So at some point, yeah. I feel like at some point we did, but I guess for repeating uh, purposes, repetition purposes, what are the contents of the tarsal tunnel? Yeah, we probably have talked about it because it's one of the most invigorating subjects in orthopedic surgery. Um, but the uh, the tarsal tunnel is uh, really composed of the posterior tibial tendon, the uh, flexor digitorum, and then the posterior tibial uh, neurovascular bundle and the FHL. And um, really what it is, is just a, a confluence of all of those as they pass posterior and medial to the, or posterior and inferior, excuse me, to the medial malleolus. And uh, just as there is kind of deep gluteal syndrome or piriformis syndrome in the hip, um, there's also something called a tarsal tunnel syndrome. Uh, what are some of the causes of tarsal tunnel syndrome and kind of, I guess, what what is it in the first place? Yeah, I mean, so I think the, the big thing is that you just have, you know, you almost just like carpal tunnel syndrome. We have this kind of neuropathy or something that's compressing the nerve and giving you these symptoms along the nerve distribution. It's the same thing for the tarsal tunnel. Um, so I think one of the most common um, reasons you can have tarsal tunnel syndrome or something that's compressing um, the, the tibial nerve and giving you these, um, this neuropathy or these, these nerves along the tibial nerve distribution in the foot is some type of a space occupying lesion. I think that's the most common. And different things, uh, different lesions that can occur, it could be due to ganglion cysts, it could be due to a lipoma, um, varicose veins, it can also be due to some type of malalignment of the ankle or the foot. It can also be due to soft tissue trauma. So this is like where you just have like those um, neurological symptoms. It could be pain, it could be a pain, paresthesias, burning, you know, along uh, along the bottom of the foot. You know, those are some of the things that clue you in towards tarsal tunnel syndrome. They may have a positive Tunnell sign. Oh, oh, this is the next question here. <laughs> well, um, oh, I, I just realized I was getting into some of the next question. Uh, without continuing forth and giving everything away, <laughs> what are some of the uh, symptoms and physical exam maneuvers for patients with a tarsal tunnel syndrome? Like what may these guys, people uh, present with? Yeah, so these sort of patients, they're, they're going to, obviously, so they're going to have kind of uh, symptoms on the plantar aspect of the foot, just like, uh, I mean, the contents of the tarsal tunnel, you're going to have the posterior tibial, uh, excuse me, neurovascular bundle, passing uh, in that area. And so um, they are not going to have dorsal symptoms whatsoever. This is not a dorsal uh, midfoot or forefoot issue. This is a plantar-based issue. And so um, burning paresthesias on the bottom of the foot, uh, tenil sign, uh, posterior inferior to the medial malleolus may indicate kind of worsening symptoms. Um, and then discomfort with eversion and dorsiflexion. And that is key because what you're actually doing with eversion and dorsiflexion is you're um, making the uh, space in the tarsal tunnel smaller. You're uh, kind of, as you ever and dorsiflex, you're, you're elongating all of the tendons that pass through the area, all of the neurovascular bundle, and you're creating the... Uh, uh, potential space uh, in that area to be smaller. And so they're going to have worse symptoms. Um, you can, uh, if it's kind of a, 
uh, non-conclusive test on physical exam, you can send them for uh, nerve conduction studies, um, which may be useful for the diagnosis. Um, and most commonly at this point, they're going to have sensory uh, issues rather than motor issues. And that's mostly because the sensory issues tend to go first prior to the motor issues. If they have motor weakness and fasciculations and muscular denervation, then they're probably at the uh, late onset portion of tarsal tunnel syndrome and surgical intervention for them may not be as uh, beneficial as the early presenters. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho podcast. Now, if you could please do us one favor at the end of this podcast, go to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. That's it. Just just one ask. If you could do that, we would be so appreciative. Until next time, happy studying.